Welcome to the Imperfect Church Podcast, a podcast for the imperfect church and the imperfect pastors that lead them. I'm Ryan Reed. And I'm John Martin. And this is the Imperfect Church Podcast. Well, Ryan, it's uh, good to be back today. It is yeah, good to be back. We had a good interview earlier, and we're looking forward to uh, right now having uh, some time with Brother Brian Croft, who uh, is the pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. You That's know, right. we have a Louisville. Yeah. yeah. Do you but, really? But well, it's Louisville. It's Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's just yeah, a, there's like eight ways you can say it. Right, home, yeah, so, so we, have a Louis, yeah. we have a Louisville, but this is yeah. not Louisville. This is Louisville, Kentucky, and I've uh, been there 14 years, huh? Well, I just celebrated 15 years wow, at yeah. the church, wow. yeah. but born and raised in that area. Okay, yeah. all right, yeah, good. But beyond that has uh, Practical Shepherding, a ministry that uh, we'll talk a lot about here in just a moment that uh, helps out pastors like us. Ryan and I were just sharing uh, that we, uh, we've we been impacted by the ministry of Practical Shepherding, and uh, we've read the books and actually mentioned them here yeah. on our podcast before. And so we're grateful for your ministry. I know your church people are grateful for your being their pastor, but we're grateful for Practical Shepherding. Thank you. So, Thank you. Uh, we we, uh, we we want to talk to you a little bit about because I I think your ministry is so profound and needed right now. How did this come about? So how did practical shepherding itself? Why did it start? Why did why did you start this ministry? I think I have to to go back to I spent eight and a half years doing associate pastor work in predominantly um, larger churches, uh-huh. and I had actually I had four different pastors I had served with, and. All four of them, I approached asking them to mentor me because I just I was green in ministry, yeah. Yeah. didn't know what I was doing. I need somebody to teach me, and all four of them refused. They told wow. me that wasn't their role. Wow! And um, of course, at the time, I didn't realize how uh, bad that was, but I just <laughs> wanted somebody to mentor me. Yeah. And so when I went to Auburndale 15 years ago, my first senior pastorate, I just kind of I, I ended up getting mentoring outside of those churches mm-hmm. from a few other pastors who ended up investing in yeah. me, which I was grateful for. But when I went to Auburndale, I just kind of vowed to the Lord that, you know, if he sends people to our church that want to be trained for ministry, yeah. that I would do all I could mm. to to mentor them and to teach them and to help them to not have to learn the hard way I had to learn. Wow, yeah. And, of course, at the time, I'm barely 29 years old, mm. and I have no seminary degree, and I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, so I'm like, nobody's going to come. But <laughs> uh, if they do, yeah, God, yeah. I'll, I'll, this is what I'll commit. And, yeah. And... Oh, in the early years of the church, even though it was a hostile environment and a rough place, God just sent a few guys, uh, mostly from the seminary, if you not, uh-huh. and just kind of some band of brothers to come kind of lock arms with me as I was in a pretty big fight. Mm. And I started just taking them around to do ministry with me yeah, yeah. and training them to do that, which is which is the best way, I think, to train guys in the local church. Yeah, sure. What ended up happening, uh, I started an internship really early on, so I was kind of just taking them through a certain amount of, like, four months of kind of a crash course in pastoral ministry. And through that, uh, at one point, my interns, about four or five years in, hit me up and said, uh, I I would take them to the hospitals with me. I'd grill them on the way, Mm -hmm. grill them on the way back. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, will you just, like, write some of this stuff down for us at some point? (laughs) I said, okay, I can do that. Not a writer. I was a terrible writer then. And... I, but I told him I'd write some stuff down for him. That eventually turned into a book called Visit the Sick. Yeah, mm-hmm. That was the first book. Uh-huh. Um, I got word of a publisher that published Practical Resources. Uh-huh. And, again, it was scary for me because I was a terrible writer. I was like, I don't need to be writing books. <laughs> and um, they were – but a friend of mine found out a small uh, publisher in, in England that published Practical Resources uh-huh. and, and contacted him. They were interested in it. Yeah, And they published it. Small nobody. Uh, it was called a publisher day one, and this is ten years ago. And this is when the internet 
was starting to drastically change the way that books circulated uh-huh. and sold. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what happened is that book released, and within a couple of months, a couple of really big bloggers picked up picked it up. Mm. A guy named Justin Taylor. Yeah. And a guy named Tim Challies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who yeah. A lot of people, probably your listeners will know. Yep. Yeah. They all got a hold of the book somehow and they plugged it on their blogs. And since they're the Oprah's of the, yeah, book, of right. the reformed yeah, blog right. world, that's right. Uh, things kind of like blew up. Right. Yeah. And what happened is there was a time where, where there's a two month period and it was like a three months after the release. It's like a publisher's nightmare. Like there was a two month time period where you could not get Viz the Sick wow. in the States. You wow. couldn't buy it anywhere. Yeah. It was on a boat because they hadn't sent enough <laughs> copies over because none of us were expecting it's the like thing. like King to, Kong coming over. Exactly. <laughs> none of us were expecting to, that to happen. So, it was, But what it did was it exposed a gaping hole mm-hmm. yeah. in practical resources yeah. that we had no idea existed. Right. Yeah. There didn't exist, should say. So the success of that book um, and the gaping hole it exposed, out of that, the practical shepherding blog started. Mm. Which was, which by the way, again, you guys, I'm t- I had to learn all this stuff. Like, I didn't even read blogs, and somebody told yeah. me you need to start a blog. I'm like, a blog? That? Yeah. Explain that to me. <laughs> so, just so you know, writing a book when you don't know how to write is a bad idea to learn how to write. Number one, <laughs> number two, don't start a blog when you just learned about it. So, I started in some really bad ways, but God was kind that I didn't do something really stupid through put some up <laughs> yeah, online. Yeah. Started the blog, and Justin and Tim both plugged it again, and the, and so it. It's, but the, what the blog did is it started this internet conversation mm. with guys who were wanting to talk about. So that's where they, like the, the question and then like a three, four hundred word response mm-hmm. to start a conversation. That's yeah. really the, the original format of the practice shepherding blog. Yeah. It yeah. still yeah. exists today for the most part. Mm-hmm. That's when it started. And what, so the blog, the success of the blog and success of the first book, mm-hmm. um, opened a lot of opportunities yeah. for me to be able to continue to write more. Right. Yeah. And I almost didn't because mm-hmm. I knew what a terrible writer I was. And but um Tim Challies gave me some advice uh, I'll share because I think it's been really helpful advice to to share other writers. I told him that I shouldn't be doing this, tell me why I should keep doing this. Day one wanted me to write more. And I told him the reasons and Tim said there are tons of people who know how to write well who don't have anything to say. Wow. He said you have something to say. Mm. It needs to be said. There's plenty of people who can help you say it. Wow, yeah. yeah. That yeah. that changed my life, yeah. that advice, because it really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Because what I knew is I had something to say. Right. Yeah. I just yeah. knew I could know how to say it well. Right, right. <clears throat> and so I went on a, a journey of trying to learn how to write personally. Yeah. yeah. And so it, just so you know, as an adult, like 30 years old, <laughs> and in my 30s really, I'm trying to – I was I started to learn how to write yeah, better. Yeah. And so you can, never too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's how it all started. So yeah. the, the other books came as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And then um, the the funeral book and the, the test train book, the Prepare Them to Shepherd book, which is how to train guys in local, how we train guys in the internship uh-huh. in our local church. So it was all practical shepherding began out of an outpouring of my pastoral ministry mm-hmm. yeah. of training guys in our local church. Right. And then it just kind of took off from there. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And yeah, you know, I reflect back to my seminary yeah. degree, and you probably can do the same. You, you uh, John, you, I went to Bible college. I'm so. sorry, I forgot that. <laughs> I have no, I have neither, guys. So you okay, guys, well, yeah. this is what I was saying here. There's there's a you're heavy theology. That's right, yeah. and uh, which is necessary. Right, I don't want yeah. you to hear me say anything else but uh but i remember one seminary class on the practical idea of mm-hmm. ministry yeah, yeah. and it was more of a 
look, guys, here's how you serve the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Here's yeah. how you baptize. I mean, that, that here's was how you, the, Here's a, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and, and, and so you are filling a hole, I right. think, that, of something that's not even well, available. I mean, my own personal story, you know, when I was when I was an associate pastor, uh, my pastor, who is a fantastic pastor, fantastic mm-hmm. man, was a bivocational pastor yeah. who worked full-time at a local community college and uh, and had had kids in school, kids in high school and stuff. And so he did the best that he could to, yeah. to help bring me along, but there was still something missing. Yeah. And so when I became a pastor, it was, uh, hey, deacons, how do y'all do the Lord's Supper? And they said, <laughs> we do it however you do it. And I said, okay, I need to figure out how to do it, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so I think about my first baptism, uh, you know, my, my wife and I went down to the church while the baptistry was full and I practiced baptizing her, you know? <laughs> And that was that was that was figuring out that how to do it. That is a great story, yeah. by the way. So, uh, and she wasn't the first one to learn. Uh, my brother in law was a pastor, and she and she was practiced on then too. So well, at least we know. Times, yeah, that's you know? good. At least we know. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the key is getting them all the way under. That's right. That's right. It's, it's <laughs> the main thing with baptism. Having having a deacon that makes sure that all they go all the way under at one that's time, right. and yeah. if not yeah. get them again. You know. <laughs> Uh, Can no, you but, count them twice if you have to baptize them twice? Yeah, I don't know. We we should have counted. <laughs> the answer is no. That's right. <laughs> but, but you're right. The, the the I mean, I work at Southern now. I mean, I run you know I run the revitalization center there. Yeah. yeah. And Southern is is maybe the best place in the world to get theologically trained. Mm, yeah. I mean, I'm willing to say that, uh, and and argue with anybody who wants to challenge that. But even there, uh, they don't do they don't do a lot of practical training. Right, yeah. Because they don't necessarily say they're going. Like Dr. Moeller would be the first one to say that these guys, need to, they're supposed to be in the local church learning ministry as right. they're being trained theologically. Yeah. yeah. So the guy. So what I'm finding is people are just, for whatever reason, are counting on a seminary to teach them all of that. Yeah. Right. And to your point, that I'm, I've just learned through this time, I, I thought I was just doing what every pastor is supposed to be doing. Yeah. I came to find out years later that... A lot of pastors just don't know how to mentor people. Yeah. And that's the first problem. Right. Yeah. It's, sometimes it's a time issue. Mm-hmm. And other times it's just guys don't know how to, how to right. do it exactly. Right. How to bring right. them along. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate what you said in just in your sermon earlier that, uh, it, this is not the responsibility of our seminaries. It's not. And, uh, it's, it's kind of like a lot of other things that we're beginning to realize inside of the church is that the church carries a lot of responsibility for the multiplication of other churches, for the multiplication of other ministers of the gospel as well. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's a, a revitalization if you will, of the purpose and the intention of the church as established by Christ. That's exactly right. I think if we if we really just use the Bible as our paradigm setter for ministry, yeah. the, the the local church is all that existed. Yeah. yeah. And and we just have to just really evaluate how seminaries and Bible colleges and mission organizations are, are valuable and do mm. a ton, but how they're supposed to partner with the local church. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I, I love that. Our, you know, our association has kind of gone through a, a, a change in the past five, six, seven, eight years where it's been this idea of, hey, associations are supposed to be from the church up. You know, conventions are supposed to be from the church up. Yeah. It's not, it's not sure. a hierarchy. And so, uh, you know, we've had that emphasis and that's kind of what I, I came into when I began pastoring here. And so I had I had pastors that were able to come around uh, around me like like John and some others, and they were able to say, "Hey, uh, this is this is how we do things, and this is this is what we teach our church, and this is mm-hmm. this is how we raise up men." And and man, that is that is invaluable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think about um, you have a you have an opportunity through practical shepherding to hear from a lot of pastors. In fact, uh, we just talked to one. Uh, we mentioned that we were interviewing you, and he said, "Yeah, a couple of years ago, I was having a difficulty in my church, and and he was gracious enough to talk to me on the phone he for did, about thirty yeah. minutes." And, yeah, yeah. And so you hear from that. So the question we just want to ask is, uh, we love the church, no, no bones about it. Yeah. We believe that the church is is the bride of Christ. We love her; she's beautiful. We also realize that the, the church, just like us, we're imperfect. 
And so what are some things that are that are that you're hearing from pastors? Or what are some struggles and may, maybe uh, maybe some help toward uh, toward some health in those areas? It's a tricky question because it's kind of almost feels like two questions in a way. Yeah. What What are the struggles in the church? Mm-hmm. Is and <clears throat> the other part of the question is how are the struggles affecting pastors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, we can talk about the struggles in the church, which are you know just apathy, mm-hmm. even yeah. hostility to the preaching of the word, yeah. to traditionalism just just set in their ways and won't yeah. change, mm-hmm. to <clears throat> membership disasters just mm. people don't understand what membership is yeah. uh, leadership i mean the southern baptist the kind of the old school southern baptist the, the worst version of it is and it's usually as a result of a lot of sheep being wounded for decades by pastors mm. but it's this in this leadership vacuum it's deacons and committees taking all the authority yeah. the pastor becoming this hired hand preacher mm. it just it paralyzes the preacher or the yeah. pastor I should say to to be able to to lead and to be able to bring any good lasting change. Yeah. Yeah. So there's tons of issues we can yeah. we can talk about right. that are uh, that are really common. So if you're dealing with all those kinds of things, uh, you're in good company. I mean yeah. that that's yeah. just the constant, at least in right. Southern Baptist life. Mm-hmm. But the bigger issue is is not only so much the 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 challenges, but what's interesting is how it's affecting guys differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's really the soul work mm-hmm. of a pastor. Yeah. You know, we were talking about before that. Uh, really matters, and, and and it affects every man differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I'm training guys at seminary about church revitalization stuff, and just trying to think about how to uniquely prepare a guy, not just to be a pastor, but to go into revitalization, right? It's assuming you're going to get pushback. It's assuming mm-hmm. you're going to meet. So, so here's a problem to address your uh, to address your question: that in dysfunctional, unhealthy churches, one of two things either exists, and usually together, you're either dealing with wolves. Or you're dealing with really wounded sheep, yeah. yeah. And we're not God, and we don't know the difference a lot mm, of times. Right. And if a man is not secure in his identity in Christ, and he knows who he is, <laughs> and he goes into a church and somebody attacks him, he is unable to have the discernment and the wisdom to know that this is a wounded sheep mm. who's attacking me not because I hurt them, yeah, but because the previous yeah. eight pastors yeah. did, yeah. yeah. And if a man cannot go in and, and be able to try to evaluate the situation, go, you know, I'm here two months. How did I make them so mad? Right. It's because you probably didn't. Yeah, right? yeah. But if you go in and you're insecure and you're hot-tempered and you don't know yourself mm. and you don't know your identities in Christ, you don't know that God loves you and is for you, like you're going yeah. to react out of just the hurt of that. Yeah. And that's where pastors get themselves in big trouble. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, going into the Pastor Saul, that was a, a book we mentioned uh, that we read in our Oprah's book club that we do <laughs> yeah. in our association. That's what you call it. Uh, well, it's, that's, that's it's the, what the way the title started, it, but we it, changed it. John tries, John, John tries to call it the learning the community. The learning community. That sounds better than Oprah's you know. book club, right? I, I guess like, we could call it Chalice I kind of like Oprah's book club yeah, a little better. Right. But, uh, just my one man's opinion. You know, Amazon is able to raise the price of a book just a little bit after the first couple pastors order it. So yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but you know that practical shepherding book, uh, the 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 pastor soul was just so important for us. We read yeah. it and uh, we all enjoyed it. And and you know that led us. It led John to look mm-hmm. up um, Richard Baxter's uh, the the the. Uh, uh, the Reformed Pastor. Yep. And that's what our Dead Man Talking uh, is coming from this week. And so I just want to mention this and then maybe even talk a little bit about the pastor's soul and how that affects okay. uh, shepherding. Uh, but I love what uh, Richard Baxter says here. He says, When your minds are in a holy, heavenly frame, your people are likely to partake of the fruit of it. Your prayers and praises and doctrine will be sweet and heavenly to them. They will likely feel when you have been much with God. 
When I let my heart grow cold, my preaching is cold, and when it is confused, my preaching is confused. And so I can oft observe also in the best of my hearers that when I have grown cold in preaching, they have grown cold too. And the next prayers, which I have heard from them, have been too like too like my preaching. Mm. We are the nurses of Christ's little ones. If we forbear taking food ourselves, we shall famish them. Mm. And I, man, that's a book uh, that'll that'll tear you up. And Baxter's one of the best ever to write about golly. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so that's one of the things that I think your book does well is uh, bringing up those ideas of you can't you can't uh, shepherd well if you're empty. Yeah, that's right. You can't shepherd yep. from from an empty uh, an empty uh, bottle. You yeah, have to right. have something in there. You have to be fueled by your justification in Christ. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's so good uh, for for churches today. And that's something yeah. I have to remind myself of every yeah, day. And, mm-hmm. and not only that, but in in the pastor's soul, you point to uh, even the physical care of the pastor, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And uh, and I so appreciated permission to sleep. Isn't yeah. it? Uh-huh. <laughs> It's funny. I, I was earlier. Some guy, one of the students I was talking to, asked me. We were doing a Q and A. He asked me, "So, how much sleep do I get?" Because he's hearing me tell. Yeah, yeah, he's asking yeah. me about stuff I'm yeah, doing. Yeah. And, he's, and he looks at me and kind of, "How how much sleep do you get?" Thinking I'm going to say like four hours. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And I looked at him and said, eight. Yeah. <laughs> I sleep eight hours a night. What are you going to do with that? You know? <laughs> yeah. not expecting that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> because it is a, a holistic, if you want to use that word, it's yeah. necessary that That's we right. that we care for ourselves as pastors if uh-huh. we're going to be effective uh, shepherds. So the number one problem I see with pastors and in in, in caring for themselves is it's it's a perfect storm. Pastors, the calling of a pastor is to pour out for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a wonderful, beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Right. The problem is what's and it happens so often that pastors think it's selfish to care for themselves. Yeah. yeah. So the balance that pastors have to capture is it doesn't it doesn't you don't lose the the you know the the desire to want to care for others, mm-hmm. but you have to understand the mentality that. Me caring for myself and being filled up, as you were talking about, as Baxter talks about, is makes me a more effective minister. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. And it's amazing how many guys just they they don't take care of themselves mm-hmm. even when they know they they want to and need to because mm-hmm. they feel selfish. Right. So it was incredibly free for me to come, and I, and I was one of those. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know how to take care of myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's incredibly freeing to learn how to take care of yourself and then to feel guilt free yeah. to do so. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, what, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm 44 years old, but I feel better than ever mm-hmm. in so many ways yeah. because in the last probably five, six years, I've just learned how to take care of myself in a way I wasn't. Yeah. yeah. That really matters. It and matters. Baxter, the Puritans are the guys that they're the ones that would say that you reap in your forties and fifties how you've cared for yourself in, yeah. in the twenties and thirties. We, we talked about that when uh, our executive director was on here, uh, Jim Futrell. He mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, he mentioned that, that idea of you know discipline without without or God like giftedness, giftedness without, without discipline, discipline is a curse. Wow, um, and, and yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. It is good. I like that. That yep. rings true for pastors today. You know, we have to take yeah. care of ourselves. We have to be able to do that because we, we heard today someone else said your church is going to become what you are. Yeah, and so if if you are empty, if you are cold, that's what mm-hmm. that's what Baxter says. I find when when my preaching is cold, my people's prayers are cold. Yeah, wow, mm-hmm. that's that's tough. One of the m- biggest freedoms that a pastor can experience is if they're able to embrace their humanity, mm. and their limitations. Yeah. Because pastors spend so much time being frustrated with their limitations, yeah. and so they fight against them. Mm-hmm. What happens if we just totally reverse that, and a pastor actually embraces, I need eight hours of sleep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I can't do this. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. It's okay that I can't, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to leave it at that. 
What I mean, it's it's incredibly freeing if a pastor does not let everybody in their church determine how much they should be doing, right? But what they actually really, what their soul's capacity is to do what they do. Yeah, yeah and you know, I think I think we I think as pastors we need permission in those areas mm-hmm. because I don't I don't know that anyone has ever said to pastors what you just said. Yeah, I, I think because your congregation is not going to say that. They're not going to say it, right? I've kind of learned there's different things as I go around and work with all kinds of different pastors. I almost have a list of a few things like that when mm-hmm. they come up to just say, let me say something to you just in case nobody has ever yeah. said it to you. Yeah. And, and just see how it's amazing what, how guys react when yeah. you say something that already resonates with their soul. Yeah. yeah. And they just need somebody to say, this is okay. Yeah. That's right. Even though they may have heard it from their wives a hundred times. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, that, that, it's, uh, it's amazing, uh, how, how, uh, you listen better sometimes when an outside force comes in yeah. and says, hey, totally. right. sure. It's just, yeah. just uh, that's how it is. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, we talked about uh, pastors and, and local communities, and, and we talked about uh, pastors and, and what, where some struggles are going through. Uh, but what do you sense that is positively happening in pastors today? Well, I think, well, first of all, the the recovery of biblical preaching is, mm-hmm. is so encouraging. Yeah. So I think that what what was uh, to make some gross generalizations to make a point, mm-hmm. um, the boomer generation of pastors – as a whole, that's not true for everybody, but the boomer generation's pastors were really good at being in people's homes and being mm-hmm. in people's lives and yeah. doing evangelism and walking in the neighborhoods and knocking yeah. on doors. All that, That's good. Uh, and, and preaching usually took more of a back seat. Yeah. Yeah. And what's happened in the last 20 years is there's this recovery of biblical preaching, mm. which I'm so grateful for, yeah. but it's been at the expense of some, yeah. some of those other gifts to – to be at the hospital and go to the funeral homes, be in the widows' homes. Right. And so yeah. I, what I'm trying to do, honestly, with, with what I'm doing in practical shepherding is trying to bring a, a balance to those two things. Yeah. Like, we don't want to lose the recovery of biblical preaching. Right. And so, but we want to find the balance of, of them doing the pastoral work. Mm-hmm. I'm encouraged by how guys are learning that. Yeah. That, that young guys are going in and they're aspiring to be their great, their favorite preacher. Yeah. But over a few years, they, figure out their own voice in preaching yeah. and they as they grow in love for the people of the right. church they just naturally in an organic way begin to be in their lives realizing yeah they're not listening to my preaching as well as I thought maybe I should get to know them better yeah, yeah. and guys just figured yeah. it out so I'm encouraged that guys who are truly called of God and have mm-hmm. the gifts of being a pastor and shepherding mm-hmm. yeah. usually the ship I have let's put it this way I've watched this in young guys that I've trained a bunch to come through our church through the years and just putting them in situations to learn to shepherd, mm-hmm. you watch the shepherding gift just rise up. You don't have yeah. to get it yeah. to come out. Mm-hmm. You just put them in situations and make them, they just naturally learn to love people. That's, yeah. That comes from God and his spirit work in us. Mm-hmm. That's not us doing it. I'm just right. putting them in situations to learn it. Mm-hmm. So I'm encouraged by how guys are, are combining now, I think, the preaching ministry and the work of soul care and yeah. it's being balanced well. Mm-hmm. I just, the other, so the, the, the temptation is to make sure we don't lose that evangelistic kind of a right. missional approach to the neighborhood and the community. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm really encouraged by just the, the solidness of a lot of guys that are coming up and, mm-hmm. and, and willing to learn and be, and be teachable. Yeah. Uh, I'm encouraged by the, uh, the amount of churches that are willing to like th- think through, rethink leadership structure in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some churches, especially, and so we're talking about an SBC context. I mean, some churches like, Completely changing the the structure of leadership from what the church has been for right, maybe a right. century, yeah, mm-hmm. and historically as a, as a convention has mm-hmm. been, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that single pastor deacon model is changing all over yeah. the place, 
and it's being welcomed in, in a lot of places anyways. Right. And so, and I think that uh, part of that is, is people are seeing the value of God's design for mm-hmm. biblical leadership. Right. You get people who are actually supposed to be pastors and shepherds doing that work. Yeah, yeah. And you get deacons who actually don't have to carry the burden of being yeah. the authority body. Freeing. But they're yeah. freeing to serve. Yeah. Like, that's one thing I watched in our church. And we did this. Even the deacons that were there through their through the years of their, you know, carrying the authority, being the authority body of the mm-hmm. church, when we finally freed them to just serve, mm-hmm. they embraced it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They didn't want... So, again, I... I Deacons get a bad rap, mm-hmm. but I find that I blame pastors mostly when you have deacon bodies that seem hungry for authority and power. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they took it out of a leadership vacuum of pastors oh, wow. coming and going yeah. every three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm encouraged mm-hmm. that churches are embracing a, a leadership structure uh, in that way. And I'm all, so the other thing I'm, I would say I'm encouraged, since especially in SBC life, is with a thousand churches closing every year. Uh, and that's why I'm involved in revitalization work. It's encouraging to see what God's doing in revitalizing churches. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and there's as I say, just it's it's one of the, it's some of the most enjoyable, stimulating ministry mm-hmm. work I get to do to mm-hmm. be a part of some of the revitalization yeah. work stuff. Mm-hmm. It was certainly as I get to tell the story about happening at our church and all that mm-hmm. stuff, but just to just to be in the grind with guys and to see God work and there's a so to see churches that should be dead. Yeah. Come back to life, yeah. man, become beautiful. gospel lights in a community. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's amazing. That is noble work. If you're listening to this and you're thinking about church revitalization, it is hard, stinking work. Yeah, but it is some of those noble work. I think somebody can go do. Yeah, yeah and I think it's I think it's greatly needed too. Mm-hmm. There's probably a lot of churches that need revitalizing that do not even know they need to be revitalized. Yeah. Oh, totally. Right? They're not yeah. on the list. That's exactly. Yeah, right. but they need to be on the list too. Yeah, so. if they're on the yeah. list, that means they're probably going to be dead in the <laughs> next right. year or two. Yeah, but, yeah. But there's no. tons like that. Yeah. yeah, and there are a lot of pastors that are out in the in the you know ditches every day. Day, mm-hmm. And they are doing church revitalization right. work. Well, and on that note, the, la- the last thing I'll tell you in answer to your question is one of the things I'm super encouraged about is I think I think in SBC life the the paradigm to evaluate success is slowly changing. Yeah, and I'm really really encouraged by that. Yeah, yeah. you know it's because the success has always been in the past so driven by church growth mm-hmm. models that then the amount of people in the church and the amount of money in the church becomes the the distinguishing mark of success. Right. I mean, how bogus is that? That, yeah. that doesn't tell us anything. Right. And and so I, I think guys actually buying into it. Yeah. And church is actually buying into it. It's really like, mm-hmm. this is not like, I'm in denial. I'm finding a glass is half full way of evaluating my church. Right. It's, no, no. You, you got five generations in this church. Yeah. That might be more healthy than that church plant that's booming, but it's got 30 <laughs> year old white people on it, and that's it. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. So, yeah. you know, just understanding what church health is. And churches and pastors embracing that. I'm seeing pastors willing to just go plant and stay in places and yeah. not use a yeah. stair step approach. So, Man, a lot to be encouraged by. I well, I, and I, you know, longevity. Mm-hmm. I, I yep. think and yep. even in our area, we see guys that have said, you know, this is my home. This is where the Lord has planted mm-hmm. me. Yeah. This is where I'm going to minister. This is my town. This yeah. is where I'm going to invest. These you know, these are my people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so I see longevity. I don't know if you see that. We, I we do. see some longevity too. That's, that's encouraging. That's probably the most encouraging yeah, thing I could is. say is, is the, it's changing. Like it's slowly yeah. yep. changing mm-hmm. as guys are, grow, are coming out of seminary, taking the first pastor and they're just staying. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. staying at that place out in the middle of nowhere and mm-hmm. the group, because they love the people and mm-hmm. they, they're realizing they're not, they're feeling less pressure. Than, mm-hmm. than I think guys have in the past of no it's it's a corporate model I just got to go to the bigger church that's and, right yeah and stair step up and instead mm-hmm. God may have called you to that people group yeah 
Yeah. The people group at Auburndale or the people group in yeah. rural Union, Mississippi, you know. Well, I'm telling guys that if you go if you're not willing to go and stay a minimum of five years in a church, yeah. just don't go. Yeah. You'll you'll leave it worse off than mm-hmm. when you got yeah. there. Yeah. You cannot do anything lastingly good that uh, in in less than five years. Yeah. yeah. And guys I think are buying that. At least yeah, the sure. guys in the circles I'm in. I think so. That's good. And you know, uh, we've really enjoyed this interview. Yeah, it's, thanks it's for great. spending some time um, with us. Yeah, we we have benefited so greatly from your ministry. I know a lot of our, our listeners have too. And so uh, one of the reasons why we benefit for it from it is because we took it and read. <laughs> yeah, appreciate so, I'm uh, glad. Thanks for telling me. Uh, so we just want to ask the question, you know, what are what are you reading at this point? So um I'm well, I'm preaching through Romans. Mm-hmm. Um so Reading stuff around that, I um, so I'm reading a couple of books. Um, one is there's a book. So Austin Walker is a pastor in England. He's mm-hmm. a good friend of mine, a mentor. Just retired from his church, planted his church 45 years ago, wow. and just retired from it. And he wrote a book on Benjamin Keach, an mm-hmm. English yeah. particular Baptist. He's pretty much the scholar on Benjamin Keach, but wow. nobody doesn't knows what was about his book. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in the middle of reading it. So I can discuss it with him. Yeah. So uh, we're so we're, I'm in the middle of reading that. Uh, I have a book that I'm reading that's not been published. Yet. I'm actually reading it to write a blurb for it, but I'm reading because I wanted to. It's a book that's on uh, lamenting mm-hmm. from the Psalms. Yeah, mm. and it is so good. Yeah. Uh, so it's a it's a book that'll be out next year, Crossway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm in the middle of reading that book, and which is I I just I'm trying to read stuff that are. I love biography, but I also enjoy reading stuff that that is about experiencing God, not just theology. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's a shift for me, mm-hmm. just to kind of branch off into some of those things that kind of does both. Right, of yeah. those things. That's good. So, yeah, there's a few things that I'm that I'm reading. That's great. That's great. I'm actually I'm, I'm reading a uh, a book by George Ella. Maybe I don't know if that name's familiar. Okay, um, but it's a it's a biography on William Cooper. Oh, um, nice! And so, yeah, uh, and apparently he's the guy in William Cooper. I yeah. mean, I don't, uh, and I've just I've always loved Cooper's hymns, and so it's it's interesting to read through that. And um, you know, John makes fun of me because I have weird books that I read. I always end up throwing something else that you know. <laughs> well, speaking of weird books, I, I read a book. I took I take all of July off. So speaking yeah. of finding rest, and they, mm-hmm. I took all of July off. I've done that the last few years, and I usually try to have a, a book of just fun reading. Yeah, like it's not even Christian, or right? Just, right. And uh, I read uh, in July. The definitive biography on Bruce Lee. Really? Wow. It, and it came out two weeks before I went on vacation. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to read. That's great. And it was so good. I've been a martial artist most of my adult right, life. Yeah. So i just fascinated by that kind of stuff. That's great. So I, so I read I, I, the author's name, but it was, it was tremendously good and interesting but yeah, yeah I just, found Bruce that's, Lee. that's great i just I, i'm a i like to soak up information useless information that won't make me any money that's the stuff i know so there you go. Uh, yeah. reading biographies like that that's great yeah uh well uh pastor croft we really enjoyed you on the podcast and uh we we hope to uh, look forward to your ministry uh, coming up and and right now we're kind of playing that game we're picking up the, the books when we can you know trying to get the complete yeah. set so we're excited about that thanks for doing that appreciate it uh, we really appreciate having you today good to have be here thanks all right well we appreciate everybody for being here and uh listening to is and if you like our podcast we invite you to like rate review is on itunes and we will see you next time but until then keep loving your imperfect church and remember one day she will be perfected in glory